It's different when it's different when you're not leading and you're salivating because no one misses you. But all right, let's open up the scriptures. I'm running a little bit behind. I meant to pick up meat and stuff for our meeting uh, later, and uh, we meant to do that yesterday and didn't. Uh, Psalm 145, Psalm 145, my pages are sticking together and I go from Psalm 89 to Proverbs 20 just in one whack and I can't seem to separate them, Psalm 145. Um, we're still talking about the attributes of God's love and goodness, and it has brought us... Now, we remember what an attribute is. An act is what the Bible says He has done, proclaims He has done, and we learn from God about by looking at His acts, His acts of miracles and providence and creation, and... Uh, and uh, Decree, decreeing things, uh, and we started looking at the attributes, and that's what the Bible asserts that God is, asserts truths about God. Um, and we started with His love and His goodness, and that has led us into a discussion of His grace. And uh, we looked last week at grace, we defined grace, the uh, the word hen in the Old Testament, and um, the word charis in the New Testament in the Greek. Um, we talked about how this is unmerited favor. This is God showing favor without merit to earn or anything that conditions it. So, um, so th- this is at the heart of what this is what the, at the heart of what the Bible talks about with uh, things like, or not the Bible, but the old divines used to talk about unconditional election and things of that nature, is that at the heart of grace is this idea that we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't, we didn't uh, there, it wasn't conditioned on our obedience, it wasn't conditioned on anything to that effect. So we're continuing on with John Frame, uh, using John Frame as our, as our launching pad, if you will, to, and I rely heavily on him, at least for the outline. But the next thing, as we started talking about, as we started talking about uh, grace, I want to introduce this idea theologically of what we call common grace. Common grace. What is common grace? That doesn't mean it's mundane or anything like that. Uh, we use we use this term, or this term has been used to talk about a grace that is experienced by everyone, and not just the saved, not just those who are saved. Now, for our text. Uh, Psalm 145, when we consider grace as a category of the goodness of God, 
and flowing from the love of God, we know lost and saved alike are already recipients of His love and His grace, or His love and His goodness and His benevolence. Psalm 145 and verse 9, the Lord is good to all. How many is He good to? (laughs) All. Can anybody that's lost ever say, well, God never done anything for me? No, of course not. That God never showed me any favor in, in a general sense of the word. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about the actual application of salvation to them, but that he did not show it. He said he, the Lord is good to all, and it goes on, it adds to that in this verse, his tender mercies are over all of his works. How many of his works are, 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 are mingled with his tender mercies? All of them. Uh, what works are those? Well, everything that God, God is doing, every work of providence, every, every, every uh, molecule in the universe uh, is, is, uh, is infused with his tender mercies. Thought you were going to attack me. <laughs> you're all right. You're all right. Here, I'll get that door. So the Lord is good to everyone. There is no one outside of that exception. He shows his favor. He shows favor to everyone specifically. Now, if we consider grace, what we talked about grace, this redemptive grace specifically, and I, now I've lost the thing. There it is. <laughs> When we consider his redemptive grace, we were talking about last week how grace, when we use the word grace usually, uh, it is focused on what God did in our sinful condition to bring us to salvation, to save us. By grace you are saved. Um, If we consider grace as simply a subset of his of his goodness and his loving acts towards all, then there is a sense in which there is this this whole idea of common grace is a good one. Um, hit, uh, frame here says that scriptures, to his knowledge, never use the word that we commonly use for grace or favor in the Bible. And what were, the Old Testament had the word hen. New Testament charis, those are the words that we commonly use for grace or favor, that they are used, are never used to describe his blessings on creation generally or to those that are not saved. Uh, it seems to be a word or a specific, a specific word that is directed or used to describe to what he has actually shown us in salvation. Um, but nevertheless, though it may be better to talk about his common love or his common goodness, this word, the, the, the word grace seems scripturally to be connected more with those ideas. The, word, the old divines have always talked about this idea of common grace. That God in some way, shape, or form has shown great favor to all people. And as we just read, that is a scriptural idea. Uh, Scripture teaches us 
that God's grace in teaches us about God's grace, sometimes even when these words are not used. For instance, uh, the uh, story of the prodigal son doesn't include the word grace, right? But you cannot read the story of the prodigal son without, show, without seeing that there is grace all throughout it. But Reformed writers and people have talked about common grace as, for, as opposed to special grace, and the concept has been used more broadly. John Murray, for instance, defines common grace as every favor of whatever kind or decree falling short of salvation, which is undeserving, sin-cursed world enjoys at the hands of God. So I want to get into just a few things that we mean when we use the term common grace. I'm not, I, I'm with frame. I don't think we should change our language. We, the word common grace is acceptable. We just need to understand how the word grace is used in the scriptures. Uh, what do we mean by common grace? First of all, God restrains sin. I hope I spelled that right. He restrains sin. And I know you in the back can't read that anyway, so I need to make it bigger. He restrains sin. Um, what does that mean? It means uh, the wicked are not as evil as they could be. And I'm glad about that. Uh, not everybody is a Hitler, and not even Hitler was as bad as he could have been. Uh, so... Uh, God does restrain evil. Uh, he keeps them from doing wrong uh, in, in, in many instances. Uh, for instance, uh, Genesis 4.15, he says, uh, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. He restrained those from exacting vengeance upon Cain. What did he do at the Tower of Babel? He says, he says now nothing will be kept back from them. The idea there uh, is, um, is, is uh, the progress of their evil. And what did he do? He restrained them. He set boundaries for them and separated them and, and, and their tongues and sent them throughout so they would not continue on in their evil. God actively restrains. It says even in this, in this current time, he that lets or hinders, that's, a, that's the King James word is let, right? The one, the one that hinders will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. The one that lets shall continue to let until he be taken out of the way. The idea there is that God in his presence is restraining men in their evil. Uh, we... we, we we see some of those restraints being let loose right now, but but God, God even now is not letting the evil do as much as it could do or as much as it wants to do, and that's part of the reason why we're not why they haven't burned down our church yet or, or something like that. Is God is restraining evil? Um, I'm glad about that because if I would have had all the evil I wanted as a child or as a, as a lost man, I would, I would be dead now. God restrained me often from doing... He's, he's, we, we are not in charge of our circumstances. God is. Uh, 
man's heart devises his way, and the wickedness, and, and, and we are like it says in Genesis, the wickedness of man's heart is only evil continually. Uh, but yet God puts things in our path. We have to, the man's heart devises his way, Proverbs 69, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, I don't, I can't tell you how many roadblocks in my own personal life have been put in my way when I wanted to sin. He has put time in my way. He's put uh, uh, all, ki- all kinds of things, uh, j- just people in my way to restrain, to be an active force against me and things like that. He, 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 uh, says to the proud waves, this is as far as you can go and no further, and he does that all the time. He restrains evil, and that is a common grace. We would be swallowed up by evil if God has not showing a common grace in restraining them. So that's one point of common grace. Another point of common grace is that he restrains his wrath. He restrains his wrath. We talked about this actually a few weeks ago. What was the promise that was given uh, in the garden? The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, I'm not getting parsing out and saying they didn't die spiritually, but could God? have completely destroyed them in accordance with his word that moment. Yeah. Yes, Brother Jimmy. And later. Yeah, no, there's going to be an accounting one day, right? Uh, we're, going to have, we're going to have to give an account for our sowing, and, our, and one day that harvest will come. But the point here is, is God has from the moment man sinned, restrained the fullness of his wrath. And it's been so all the time. Uh, We think of the Canaanites. The Canaanites were wicked even in the days of Abraham, but what did God say? Their iniquity is not yet full. God restrained his, and apparently restrained his wrath for hundreds of more years. Uh, He restrains his wrath. uh, in, instead of bringing the fullness of his wrath upon, uh, uh, upon all of humanity and upon all that have rebelled against him, we continue to this very day. We continue, Adam and Eve continued on to live and to have children and to produce gen, more and more generations. And, and God has not yet laid the fullness of his wrath upon mankind. Uh, God does not allow us to receive the full us individually to receive the full punishment we deserved, and I'm glad about that. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, Matthew 19:8. Matthew 19:8. Why am I in Galatians? All right, I'll get there eventually. I don't think this is the right right one. Uh, No, that's talking about the risk because of the hardness of man's heart. 
I, I guess it's somewhat where Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. Uh, the, the idea there is that uh, this one instance of that. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. I didn't make this connection there that I wanted to make. Acts 17 and verse 30. Here we have the preaching of Paul to the philosophers there on Mars Hill. And he says, for as much, in verse 29, for as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think God is like unto gold, silver, stones, graven by the arts of men's device. So we're talking about some of the wickedness of idolatry that Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 1 here, making God into, into the image of this or the image of that, uh, and so on and so forth. And what did he say? Verse 30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at but now he commands all men everywhere, everywhere to repent. God foregoes his judgment. Uh, we, we don't get the idea of what you and I think about, about you know, winking. Uh, just, oh yeah, that's, that's all right. Uh, I'm not going to write you this ticket, <laughs> you know, even though you deserve it. But God, but God in some way, shape, or form here overlooking it, not fixing his his wrath upon it and that's the sense here um and that goes on into the sense into the very salvation it talks about uh talks about in romans chapter 3 when he presents the gospel to us uh after he talks about the greatness of man's sin all throughout uh, uh all throughout humanity universally he comes to romans chapter and verse 25 and he says whom God has set forth to be a propitiation he's talking about Christ set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God what is that forbearance that he bore with sinners even Christ endured the contradiction of sinners against himself he has restrained his wrath. We, we, we're thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for right now America hasn't got what they deserved. <laughs> Amen. I mean, uh, it's, 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 we are a force for evil in the world, probably one of the greatest forces of evil in the world ever. And I mean, what, what, what are we exporting but our sin to every single nation and culture? Uh, and we, we've heard, heard, those, heard those cries, well, if God doesn't judge America, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah or something to that effect. And, 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 uh, and there's a certain sense in which that kind of language represents, represents some truth that it is amazing that God is still restraining his wrath. Why is he restraining his wrath? Well, I don't know. <laughs> because he has grace. He has common grace. And, and people are still getting saved. People are still hearing the gospel. Uh, we, we run into these words all the time in the scripture about God's patience, his, his long suffering. Uh, we, we, we get the word macrothumia, uh, 
uh, long patience, uh, uh, long passions, if you will, that God has for his creatures. Not willing, Peter said, that any should perish. Uh, and we account then, that Peter went on to say in that text, that we account that the long-suffering of God, in a sense, is salvation. So that's the second one. How, how about this one? God gives. The third sense of common grace is God gives. Blessings to all. I'm running out of room. God gives blessings to all. That's another aspect of what we would naturally call common grace. Now you can't see the board. <laughs> and you're young enough to where your eyes can actually see it. Right? Um, so he gives grace to all. We're not going to touch on this one very much because we've actually talked a good bit about this when we're talking about God being benevolent. We just read that in Psalm 145. He's good to how many? All. Uh, he, uh, he, in a sense, pours his blessings out upon all. Jesus Christ, again, uh, Matthew 5.45, he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. He, may, he, he loves his enemies. He loved us. But before you were saved, you were an enemy of God, and he loved you, and he gave grace to you. He gave common grace to you that he gave to all of his enemies and continues to pour, not, not just forbear his wrath, but pour his blessings upon them. Uh, we, we, we are amazingly blessed people, as sinful as we are. And I'm talking about us generally, not simply, not simply us, those of us that are saved. Um, there, is a, there, there is a sense that he, he just gives his sunshine to all creatures. He, he feeds he feeds the ravens and he feeds the he he, he feeds the lions. Uh, Psalm one hundred four, Psalm one hundred thirty six. Uh, we we just read there in Psalm one forty five. This is a great uh, theme that goes through that he cares for his creation, he cares for his creatures, and he cares for man. And that and hence the great cry: Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his uh, for his mercies towards the children of men. That is often quoted there in Psalm 107. So uh, he's generally benevolent. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The fourth one, the fourth point here. Um, he leads them to do good. You know, evil people do good things. They do. Uh, I've had them do so in my life. I have people that uh, that I can think of that have rejected Jesus Christ, but yet have shown me great kindness uh, in hours of need. Um, there, there is a sense that no one can do a good apart, ultimate good what we would call good good. Uh, that's like uh, Francis Schaeffer's uh, uh, True Truth. Uh, what, what, what we would call good good uh, without the saving grace of God. 
There is a sense in everything that someone does when they're lost is sin because they're not doing it for the glory of God or, or uh, they're not doing it with the right motive, for the, with the right means and, so, and towards the right ends. Uh, so, so there is a sense in that, but I, we shouldn't get caught up with the semantics of that. The fact is, is that, uh, that even though the Bible says those, that are not, those who are not in the flesh cannot please... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot come to the conclusion that that means that they don't do any any good in this in this world. Uh, what what do we mean by the term total depravity? Well, we don't mean that people are as evil as they could be, right? Uh, they could be a lot worse, like we've already talked about. What but what total depravity means is is not that they're as bad as they could be, not that they don't ever do anything that is seen in the eyes of everyone around them as good things. It simply, me- it's to- it simply means that they are totally unable, outside of the grace of God, to be reconciled to God. That's all. I, there are people who will take that doctrine and they'll try to say that man is as bad as they could be, uh, and they're not. It just means they can't get to God. They can't reconcile themselves to God as sinners. No man can come to me except the Father first draw him. Right? That's what total depravity means. And maybe total depravity is not even the best term, but but uh, we stick with that. We've stuck with that term because it, it helps with the acrostic tulip. <laughs> and uh, and and take that out, you you lose that acrostic. Uh, but but total inability or the total inability to come to God, but that does not mean they don't do good. Um, there is a sense in which Laban did good to Jacob. Uh, there is no reason for us to believe that Laban was nothing but an idol worshiper. He was outside of the covenant grace of God, but Laban did good to Jacob. Uh, uh, um, Pharaoh did good to J- Joseph. And there is no reason to believe that Pharaoh was a believing man. Um, and we can go, we, there's all kinds of examples that we can give. So good here is not in the highest sense of good as in doing true good works for there is none good, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, they're all gone out of the way. They're all, all that that we talk, talked about. That, but good in the sense of God leads unregenerate people to do good things. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Right? Um, think of what Jesus said to the Pharisees: "You, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children." This is what is what is that? But the common grace of God, that that they do good, even though they are outside of what we would call the special, the specific grace of God and salvation. Here's a fifth thing, and I've completely run out of room. The common grace. When we talk about common grace, and I'm just going to move this up here. Five, they know the truth. 
That's, that's a, forgive my scrawl there. <laughs> they know the truth. That's a grace. God has not hidden, hidden himself from them. Uh, run, unregenerate people know the truth. In Scripture, knowledge is ethical, uh, Frame says here. Something that we engage in either obediently or disobedient. So when we talk about them not obeying the gospel, uh, not obeying the truth, uh, holding the truth of God in unrighteousness, uh, Romans chapter 1, it says that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. There is, in the unregenerate is this knowledge that there is a God. There is, there is this knowledge that, there, that, that God has made a way for Him to be known, to be known in salvation to them, the preaching of the gospel, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. But but this idea that, um, that uh, they are not without the knowledge of the truth. Um, I, I know there, there are some atheists that will make the argument that God, well, well, God should have made himself more known to us. Well, God has made himself known to them. Yeah, uh, the, the, the dumb on purpose is how Peter would say, right? Um, willfully ignorant in the King James English, but that just being, uh, I don't remember who said that, but as I said, that a good translation of that was dumb on purpose. Uh, but, but they know the truth. Um, but they suppress that knowledge. Um, and that is so all throughout the scriptures. Uh, Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees for that, that, uh, of the Pharisees in Matthew 23 when he preached that scathing sermon about the hypocrites. He says, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Which, what did that mean? They sit, in the, they sit in the synagogues and they're teaching the scriptures. And when they're teaching the scriptures, do what they say. But don't do it the way they do it. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what is he saying there? He, he was saying that the Pharisees who had rejected Christ completely were sitting in, the, in their synagogues and teaching the Word of God. And what they were teaching was not necessarily wrong. They had the truth. Uh, and and that's, at, that's so all the time. Uh, Confucius had some truth. <laughs> I'm not going to wade through Confucius and start following Confucius trying to find the grains of truth. Uh, you can listen to our Muslim brothers. They have... I don't want to say my, my brothers and my man as in mankind, <laughs> uh, but we can, you can listen to our Muslim friends, that is, and they're going to say some things about God that are right. In fact, uh, we can even learn some things as far as making good arguments about the existence of God and so on. They have a common grace that they have experienced. They know the truth. Um, and because, because they walk in a world of truth and they walk in, they're able to do, going back to this, they're able to do good things. There are, there are some atheists, that, atheist scientists that have done great works because they have honestly dealt with the truth of creation as they know it. They know, they, they know the truth, they just won't obey the truth, uh, unfortunately. And let me give you one last one. And I'm completely out of room. But 
this one may be harder for us to understand, and maybe I'll write it up here. Six. They experience... And I'm just going to call conviction, and the good, but really what this is, um, is the works of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgments. That's not just us that are sitting here that are saved. He will convince the world of it. Uh, you can't read Romans 1 without, under, without uh, seeing that truth, that he ha- is indeed convi- has, has indeed convinced people of the truth of God. There is a sense in which that is true. Uh, so the blessings of the Holy Spirit fall upon all. John Murray said, Unregenerate people receive operation in influences of the Spirit and connection with the administration of the gospel influences that result in experiences of power and glory of the gospel, yet influences which do not issue a genuine and lasting conversion and are finally withdrawn. Um, I will go as far as say that there are people out there who have genuine experiences of Of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Balaam, for instance, was a prophet who heard from God. But you cannot read the end of Balaam and the the scourging judgment of Balaam in the New Testament without coming to the conclusion that he was a man outside of grace. You know, King Saul prophesied. The Spirit came upon King Saul one day when he was walking, and he prophesied, and they had the saying in that day, is Saul among the prophets? It was something amazing to them that Saul was among the prophets. But he was also the great, became after that the great example of rebellion. He was the one that said, heard the scathing message from God's prophet. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And, of course, he died following witchcraft at the very end. Um, uh, in the New Testament, Judas, you know Judas preached the gospel? Judas did miracles. He proclaimed repentance towards Christ and the coming kingdom of God, just like the other disciples. He healed the sick in the name of Christ. There are people, out, he cast out demons. He was one of those that came. He was one of those uh, disciples that came back to Jesus Christ and says, uh, "We the, the devils are 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 uh, doing what we say." Or I can't remember exactly the wording. Then he says, "Rejoice not that you are that the devils you can cast out devils, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven." Uh, so that was people like Judas, who had these great experiences. Um, uh, we have here in Hebrews 6, this is a much debated chapter. Uh, but I want us, well, to understand the context. He's writing to people who were 
thinking about, and some already had, defected from the faith of Christ. And he would go on to say um, in chapter 10 about... Um, about uh, what does he say in chapter 10? You don't have to turn there. He says, we are not of they who draw back under perdition, but those that believe to the saving of the soul. That there's a difference between saving faith and, and nominal faith, but that doesn't mean there's a great, there's without an experience of God in this, in this uh, more nominal faith. Listen, listen to how, how it says here in verse 4. This is a very famous part of scripture here. Some people will use it for ill to try to say people are not saved uh, forever. <laughs> but listen to what it says. Because it's most definitely about apostasy. It's about something that you and I recognize in the world. We know people right now who used to follow Christ that are not following Christ now. Are we to say that they had no experience of Christ? That they, that, that it was, a, no, what does it say here? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of Man afresh and put him to an open shame. And the verses that go on talk, talk about this principle of, of time revealing what the people are. For the earth which drinks the rain and comes often upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected, it is nigh unto cursing. And it goes on to talk about how time reveals what the nature of truth, the true nature of things are. But the point here is, is they had an experience of religion, a true experience of the religion, something that came from the Holy Ghost. And they, they uh, on that basis for a time, rejoiced. Go back to the parable of the sower. The, the seed that fell upon the rock was seed that fell upon uh, the stony ground, right? Uh, and it sprouted for a little bit. And how did Jesus Christ describe that? Well, he described it like this. They for a time rejoiced. They sprouted up. They rejoiced. And then when it got hard, they withered away. They went away. Yeah, fair weather Christians, so on and so forth. Uh, the same with those that fell among thorns. Uh, that when they sprouted up, it, ch it choked them. But, but specifically, they're the stony ground hearers. They rejoiced in it for a while. And they were subject, there, there was so much, there were, there, how, what difference was it between that seed and the seed that fell upon good ground? They were both sown by the same person the sower, they were of the same nature, the same word of God, the seed. The difference was one heart was prepared and the other wasn't. But we don't say that their experience wasn't genuine. So 
sometimes the blessings of God uh, look like the blessings of salvation. And we, we know those people. We're, 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 I, I can think I'd have to take my shoes off and start counting. And it's unfortunate uh, that people stop following, people stop pursuing, people even go, went as, has gone as far as repudiating the very thing that they once confessed and doing so openly. And what does that prove? It proved that it didn't prove that they didn't have genuine experiences, true experiences. What it proved was is that experience they had, they had fell short of true saving faith. I don't know what I don't know what the what the difference is, but what did John say? They went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued. Um, so there is common grace. There is common grace that experience, and sometimes that common grace, when experience looks genuine, and it's hard for us to tell the difference. That's that's why I tell you all the time. I don't know if anybody's saved but me. <laughs> I don't. I, I got a good idea that some of you all are saved. I, I've, I've seen. I've seen ongoing and continuing fruit in your life and uh and i'm grateful for that testimony but I, and when it comes right down to it i i know i have believed upon christ and i know that if i i have nowhere to go from christ he's he's all and i you could we, that's a subject for another day how we can have assurance in the with the reality of apostasy is clearly taught in the scripture how we can have assurance but we most sure, assuredly can uh, these things of our written that you may know that you have eternal life and we can have that assurance but that doesn't mean as we look out across the testimony of others and we see how they have faltered and fallen uh, that it didn't look or that it wasn't even genuine um, but I'm going to stop there this is a uh, common grace uh, next week I want to talk about we want to hopefully give our last week talking about the good the love and goodness of God uh, before we move on to the subject of His holiness and His righteousness, uh, but the love and goodness of God, I want to I want to get back to the culminating idea of His covenant love for the redeemed, and uh, we'll pick up there. We got about ten minutes before the next hour.